welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm excited to, to get to get back into to podcasting because it's been... Well, as far as the listener knows, it's only been a week. Yeah, because we took the other week. Well, we But that last episode we recorded with West Anthony about music, which has gotten some great responses. Mm-hmm. Um, we recorded like two weeks ago because yeah. you were in Switzerland for two weeks. That's right. And we'll talk about that some other time. Uh, well, I did want to say just a quick uh, thanks to. Uh, uh, I thought you were uh, going to say thank you in in. Uh, well, I guess you would oh, say it in either in Don- Italian, Danke or Merci. Right, or or, or I didn't visit Italian. that part. You didn't visit the Italian yeah. part. Okay. Or here's the thing, uh, I could just say thank you because yeah. almost everyone there spoke English. Did I ever English. tell you my Switzerland story? I'm sure I told it on that What's podcast. That? Which is, um, I went to Switzerland. I went to Europe for a couple weeks after I graduated high school, and I went to Switzerland, and I just got done taking four or five years of German, mm-hmm. so I thought, hey, I'm in Lucerne, I can speak German. And there was this record store I knew was near City Hall. And so I went to this clothing store uh, that was near me, and I was like, uh, you know, I said, Entschuldigung, können Sie mir sagen, wo ist der Rathaus? Can you, excuse me, can you tell me where City Hall is? Mm-hmm. And then they started talking, and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I can say it, but I apparently cannot understand it. Um so that was a little lesson in humility, and then and a lesson in the fact that uh, people in Lucerne are really nice. Yeah, oh, it, it was it was really great uh, being there, and uh, yeah, I had something like that where I would you know start with uh, you know Guten Tag or uh, Guten Morgen and or Bonjour depending on where I was. Right, right. So I would do that to be accommodating to uh-huh. what they have just said because they'll usually lead, and mm-hmm. uh, and then I'll do that, and then they immediately they click over and. Because I I give the impression of being an American, I think, and uh, so they right. they say was that it, it was, you're very loud, boisterous, like Hawaiian shirts, exactly right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> flip flops, uh, flip flops with socks, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I wear I was wearing my goofy hat <laughs> right. from Disneyland, um, but uh, Euro Disney, sorry, uh, but um, but anyway, so they would they would greet me in their native tongue, and then I would respond in their native tongue, and then. They changed gears, and so it's like, oh, I guess I can speak my native language. So they just start rattling it off. I'm like, ha, 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 eh. <laughs> English. <laughs> and so and I felt terrible about that. And, it's, and so after a while, I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to say hello so they know uh, right off the bat. Yeah. And they were, they were really, and everyone was really nice about it, and I tried to be, uh, you know. Well, I feel like we're going to do two episodes this week, so mm-hmm. I feel like when it's just you and me, we should talk yeah. more about Switzerland. Because yeah. right now what I wanted to say is after a couple weeks off, I'm glad that we have a guest who is one of our favorites and one of the fan favorites. Mm-hmm. I hate saying fans. One of the listener favorites. All right. Um, it's, it's, okay. We'll get to the guest in a minute. <laughs> All right. So I have... Okay. So I, w- w- while in Switzerland, I met a fan. All right. And he is... His name is uh, Davida. Um, and Wait, he's does a, he comment on our website often? Yes. Okay. I know who, okay. exactly who that is. Yeah. A genuine fan who sent you chocolates. Oh, well, uh, thank you for the chocolates. Yeah. Oh, before I forget, I want to thank James. Uh, I'll say normally we don't say listeners' last names, but he's also a contributor to the website yeah, yeah. on occasion. So James Sheridan, who sent us, meaning me, uh, an awesome pecan pie uh, from a place in Texas, because Tyler doesn't eat pecan pie. Yeah. Uh, I guess or I'll pecan just be pie. Over here. Maybe that's how you say it in Texas. Pecan pie. Um, uh, I was going to say we'll ask our guest who's from near Texas. Uh, how she says uh, pecan 
but we'll do that later. We'll get to that in a second. But what I'm saying is that, so, so I had dinner with him and it was super awesome. And I made little references and I said, I said like Jason Eakin and he goes, Oh, a friend of the show. And I was just like, I was like, yes, friend of the show, Jason Eakin. And it's just one of those things like, don't get me wrong. I don't, I'm uncomfortable with the notion of having fans as well, but you know what? We have fans. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not ego- egotistical to say it. We were fans of other of podcasters. We were. F- I remember I was starstruck to have Matt Belknap on the show. All right, <laughs> that tool. As, as our, I don't. I just mean to say, like, it's like it, it, Pardo. That's one thing. Having Jimmy, Jimmy Pardo, Pardo on because sure. he'd been on TV. He was the the you know a noted comedian. Matt Belknap was the producer of a podcast. That was it. Right, and we were we were thrilled so to have him. So what you're saying on. is, I should remind myself that our listeners are probably as big of nerds as i yeah absolutely all right so say fans and say it with confidence we have a listener favorite here uh to help ease us back into podcasting but first before we introduce her i want to make sure that you guys at home are going to hear this correctly and the correct way to hear battleship retention is by using tweakedaudio.com earbuds and what those are is professional uh professional quality earbuds uh, which are available um, at a low, low price in a variety of styles and colors. And if you, uh, because you know us, because you're fans of us, you can go to tweakedaudio.com. That's tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. And you get uh, the same selection of uh, professional quality earbuds in the same variety of styles and colors. Uh, what about with, green? With It's included. In fact, I have some green ones. Okay. Uh, but by going through the slash pretension portal, you get one third off and you don't have to pay for the shipping. So... Now, with that all out of the way... What about red? Uh, I'm sure they have red. I haven't checked. Um, I have some earbuds that I got from my employer that are oh. red. Because um, red is just... the color of my company's logo. Oh, That's all right. the biggest hint I'm ever going to give about where I work. But I have to assume those those earbuds were just pieces of shit, right? Uh, yeah, actually. Right. Um, they don't work anymore, and they were way too short. Exactly. Uh, anyway, let's bring our guest in. Finally, she is, as mentioned... Uh, a listener favorite. She is, as mentioned, from a state that borders Texas, and her name is Amy Nicholson. Hello, and I say pecan. You say pecan? I say pecan. I'm actually from Texas. You're from Texas? Yeah. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, I'm from San Antonio, but I... Or is that something that you have told me literally every time you've been on the podcast and I keep forgetting? I lie and say I'm from Oklahoma because I'm also from Oklahoma, and most of my friends are from Oklahoma, and I'm an Oklahoma Thunder fan, so... I usually frame myself in Oklahoma. And you're a Sooner, right? Yeah, and I'm a Sooner, which so I'm I'm really not allowed to be a Texan and a Sooner because they're right. mortal enemies. But the secret is I actually am from Texas. So, but you're from San you- Antonio. So do you do do you know how what picante uh, sauce should taste like? Not like New York City. <laughs> okay, All right. Uh, yeah. Are you as a Sooner uh, as excited as I am for the fact that at the time we're recording this, college football is back tonight. I only I, like it when we're already winning. I like I'm just a bandwagon person. When the Sooners are like really killing it, then I can be like, yeah, I'm a Sooner and like pretend well, I that think, I care. And I, I looked because I knew you were going to the show. I think your first game on Saturday is against Louisiana Monroe. So you, you probably so have we'll, a pretty good chance. We'll kill them. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's a home game. Yeah. So like, just like my Mizzou Tigers are starting off against Murray State at home. It's a we've got a pretty good ease into the schedule. Mizzou does this year. Yeah, I mean, I'm a real jerk. I'm also I went to USC for grad school, and when they do well, I also claim them. <laughs> I, like I have, I'm completely disloyal. But I do because there are so many people out here from Austin, so many hipsters that we know. I really, really love it when we do uh, OU Texas. It's like our biggest rivalry of the year. Uh-huh. 
and we got tricked a couple of years ago. Um, my friend was like, hey, we're all going to get together at this bar and watch OU Texas. You should come. So I came and I brought one friend and we both dressed in OU colors. And it turned out that the UT Alumni Club had rented the bar. <laughs> and we were the only people from Oklahoma in the whole bar. And people came up and got really mad at us. But then we beat them. And uh, they all left early. We like stayed till the bitter end. Uh-huh. Awesome. Uh, I was at, speaking of uh, rivalries, I finally went to a Dodgers game this year against the Cubs, whom I hate. I was born and raised to hate the Cubs because I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, and uh, the Dodgers totally trounced them. It was awesome. And I got, <laughs> I got way drunk. It was great. <laughs> Is it possible for me to feel a rivalry towards sports talk? Because that's, that's, that's how I feel. No. But... All right. No, because uh, the thing is, I mean, when you get into sports, you realize that what a person can love about sports is the same thing that a person can love about movies. You have characters, you have an arc, you have an ending, you have a climax. Like, yeah, but I'll just wa- I'll just watch movies. But I think when but you, you can watch both. It's like having it's like there being double movie in the I, universe. I I root for the angels. I root 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 for the angels. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and just and I can go see a game. But it's fascinating. And it's not, and the problems with me. There's no question about Wait, it. No, let me but, say something. Okay. That's to you. It's also to younger me, and it's also to probably okay. a lot of our anti-sport nerd listeners okay. slash fans. Um, you need to learn to separate the thing from the people you didn't like when you were younger. That is just what I was that, going to say. And that, I think that was my problem for a long time too. Was uh, that I? What I, if I don't like you? <laughs> what do I do I, then? For a longest, even though I, I mean I played a lot of sports growing up, but I associated sports and sports fandom with the kids I didn't like in high school. And you know what? It's not even really that. It's it's it really is just I can go I can go watch a baseball game and I'll love it. Uh, I will really enjoy that experience. Uh, if someone says, "Hey, what? Let's watch it on TV," I will. Uh, go take a nap but you like Um, chicken fingers don't you understand that watching sports at a bar is an excuse for all the chicken fingers hey i'm with you on that Well, especially now that mcdonald's is introducing chicken wings bone-in chicken wings into their menu yeah are they allowed to serve anything with bone that seems too close to real meat (laughs) no but uh that's what i read uh online it's gonna be bone like the mcrib bone which is just a fake bone it's like the shape of a bone Uh, you can yeah it's made of like uh like the stuff those wax lips were made of but um (laughs) But yeah, it's uh, so yeah. No, the problem is with is with me, and it really is just uh, like the minute you started talking about like uh, college, no less. I, I I've just always started college to, just, football to a lot of pe- football. A lot of people do, and a part of that is just a byproduct of growing up. I, I most of my formative years in St. Louis were the years between when we had the St. Louis Cardinals football team and the Rams. So I didn't have a lot of I didn't have a local NFL team to root for. I rooted for the Tigers, Mizzou Tigers, and. Yeah. Uh, that's a lifelong thing. And to discuss football on top of everything else, like I really, I felt myself physically. Admittedly, I'm still a little jet lagged from uh, my trip, but uh, I felt myself physically shutting down, <laughs> as though as though someone were just like pulling a lever, and I was just like, okay, I'm out until we start talking See, movies. The language that you're using just mm-hmm. really makes me think this is a Pavlovian trigger response. That, I mean, to that, to that retreat you, within myself anytime yes. someone talks about sports? Yes, Maybe. exactly. Maybe. I think yeah, you need to, like, you know, read about Jerome McGinley being traded to the Boston Bruins the same way you would read about James Spader being hired for <laughs> Avengers of Age of Ultron. <laughs> that's the sound inside me. But then I, but then it was like, Ultron. See, that's, that's what happened. Although I'm still, part of me is just like, uh, and I know nothing about 
Ultron. Nor do I. Um, I know. I I know that apparently he's a big villain for the Avengers, and he's a robot. That's about all I know as well. I cannot I'm imagine. Sure you care. I mean, as a big yeah, Avengers fan, you've got a lot yeah, you invested. Can't, you can't wait. <laughs> I care so much. You can't wait to look down on me for looking forward to it. Um, but are you a James Spader fan? I like that he's really creepy. I don't uh-huh. think many male actors channel creepy the way he does. Did you ever see Wolf? I've never seen Wolf. Is With it creepy? With Jack Nicholson? With I'm, Jack Nicholson and I'm, James Spader oh. as the creepiest you'll ever see him. Really? That, because I mean, that's then, a high then bar. He's, oh, yeah. Because that, that's the thing is... He becomes werewolf-like, so then he's creepy and then very directly predatory, and it is good lord. Like he's a guy that I would not want coming at me in a dark alley. He's he's not even that big, right? He looks like a little. Dude. I saw him. I saw him at Comic Con. He's a mm-hmm. he's a larger guy. He's is a, he a larger he can, guy? He can be imposing. Yeah, really. He yeah. like on camera. He just comes across like you know, five eight, one hundred and fifty pounds. Well, and he's as, he's, bigger, as he's gotten older, he's, he's kind of he's beefier yeah. now. Yeah, he, yeah he, I was going to say he's gotten bigger horizontally, which no judgment. You know, I certainly have uh, yeah. um, since since high school. I saw, oh my God, I saw, my, my mom is moving uh, out of her house and so sent me a bunch of stuff and holy shit, was I tiny in high school. Yeah, you were a skinny kid. I was a really, really skinny kid. But that's the I thing. Was, I was probably almost 50 pounds lighter than I am now. How's that possible? I'm looking at you right now. I don't know where you, well, how you'd even be it's alive. two things. I was incredibly skinny and B, I'm... Uh, right now, I am what uh, has po- become popularly known as uh, skinny fat, which is that if I have a shirt on and stuff, I I look pretty normal. But if you saw me without my shirt on, which no one here wants to, you would realize like, ooh, I, I, yeah. a, I a love bit of skinny fat. As a term, skinny fat is fascinating. When that got invented, what, that got invented for like what Paris Hilton or something? Like Paris <laughs> I don't know, Hilton I first was the first skinny fat reading person. GQ, but uh, yeah, yeah, she, they, they called her skinny fat because she was very skinny but yet had no muscle. Yeah. So I, that that's what I am. Yeah, uh, I I thought I was fat in high school, and now oh, I would kill well everyone in this room to <laughs> to be the weight that I was then. Uh, anyway, yeah, I think my first driver's license I was 127 pounds. I don't think I've ever been 127 pounds. Oh boy! Yeah. And now I'm uh, I. Now I tend to hover between 170 and 175. That's my no, oh, you lucky son of a bitch. <laughs> I think I literally skipped from like 80 pounds in middle school. 80 pounds probably like in fourth grade straight to like my adult weight. I don't, yeah. I've never had like an intermediate period. I don't remember ever looking at the scale and it saying like 110. Um, other than that, how have you been? <laughs> oh, I've been great. Uh, <laughs> um, you probably heard I got a new job. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. Um, yeah, that, thank you. I mean, I, and that was shortly after we last recorded, I think. It was, yeah. I, I uh, am now the chief film critic for LA Weekly, which is also part of the Village Voice chain. It's me and Stephanie Z in New York. Yeah. We're the two main film critics. And I don't it, know, this is the job I have been trying to get for 11 years. And like, it's... As a, uh, I will use the term as a as a fan, both of you, and of as a listener to me right now. Yes, <laughs> and of Stephanie Zaharek. Is that how you say it? I've heard it pronounced so many different ways, and when I met her, I didn't have the heart to ask. Okay, well, I've been reading her since. Uh, yeah, she, I mean, she since used to write for Salon, uh, Salon, Salon yeah. and that, yeah. that's when I started. And I've always always been a fan, and so it's uh, as someone who is also a loyal LA, LA Weekly reader, it, it's so gratifying to see you guys. Uh, in there all the time. I love it. I'm, I went to New York to meet with her, and we just had the best night. She's beautiful, by the way. Oh, I don't think I know what she looks like. Yeah, I don't think people know how drop-dead gorgeous the woman is. Hmm. She's 
just phenomenal. And she's just so much fun. And I love that like the two chief film critics for this paper are both women. That's yeah. just amazing. But I came to L.A. 11 years ago and started as the L.A. Weekly film intern. Like that's mm-hmm. well, that was my first gig out of college. And I w- have been plotting this this <laughs> entire time. So it feels like a homecoming. So 11 years ago, it was, was it Ella Taylor? Was she Yeah, there? Ella Taylor was second. Um, Ron Stringer was the editor of the section. Oh, that's before I moved here. Yeah, yeah. and then um, right after Ella left, we got Scott Foundus, I think. the don- that, That's when I moved here. Yeah. Oh, right. I started, like, I started at the Weekly about a month after Manola left for the LA Times. Okay. And so I, they actually gave me in Manola's old chair. And I, mean, <laughs> I was like so excited. My chair yeah. was like between... Uh, uh, Ella Taylor and this guy Stephen Mikulin, who's like a really great entertainment and politics reporter, and just like to sit in Manola Dargis's chair, I would like email my friends back home and be like, "I made it! I made it!" Uh-huh. <laughs> it seems telling that the same guy that covers entertainment also covers politics. Oh, like, he's I feel so like th- good. that there's a a link between the two. I feel like. He's like, eh, it's all basically the same. Yeah, if I could tell anybody to Google, he writes for the Times now. You know, there's just a lot of brain drain. Everybody goes mm-hmm. back and forth between the two papers. But Stephen Mikulin, one of the greatest writers I've ever known, hmm. he did amazing coverage of the, uh, oh, what's his name? The guy with the crazy hair, and Al Pacino played him, and he killed somebody. And oh, Phil, Phil Spector. Yeah, his coverage of the Phil Spector trial is some of the most amazing writing I've ever read. Well, we're not here to talk about this today, but next time that you're on i if you wouldn't find it too patronizing i want to talk about female film critics because we we haven't talked about that and it's a fascinating thing to me i would love to talk about that because i find it incredibly interesting yeah actually um i find it i find it threatening is that weird (laughs) make me a sandwich um there was a um uh, i don't know if either you listened to the uh film spotting svu podcast with matt singer and allison wilmore but um months ago went back when top of the lake was airing they got into a discussion about about it because Alison Wilmore liked it, as did I, and Matt Singer didn't connect with it as much. And Alison Wilmore was talking about, uh, like it's it's a it's a mystery, it's a plot driven thing, but told in a in a, in a more feminine way. And I uh, found that really interesting, and I'd love to talk about. I'd love to have her on, or have you on, or have both of you guys on, and talk about what that means. Uh, you know, feminine methods of storytelling, or or of analyzing I hope that just doesn't mean rambling and saying like a lot <laughs> uh, and and then going up a little at the end of sentences yeah, then, oh my god and then <laughs> <laughs> alright um, no but what I wanted to talk to you about um, again we're, uh, it's been a couple months since this came out but uh, when you wrote your review of Star Trek Into Darkness you um, in my scary. girlfriend's words you stepped in it again <laughs> because you uh <laughs> You spoiled who the villain was uh, pretty early on it, like pretty much immediately in the review. It, w- it was sentence two. Uh, sentence two. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I found that really fascinating. And also because, well, I, oddly, the way I came to find about uh, to see it before I had even opened the LA Weekly was you had put it on your Google Plus page, which I am one of the people who like uses Google Plus. You are? I yes. always feel like I'm just doing that for no reason. No, That's I, great. And... Um, one of the first comments was from another friend of the show, Danforth France, mm. who uh, you took... know Danforth. Oh yeah, he's, yeah. Been, he's been on the show. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, he's one of my. Well, I met him eleven years ago. No, oh. <laughs> same time. Um, and uh, he took some issue with that, and that was the, what first got me thinking about uh, about that. So what what I want to talk about is spoilers in general, but also just in reviews or in criticism 
you know what is our what is our or your responsibility uh you know do spoilers have a place or do you have a responsibility to avoid them so that's basically the general topic of the episode i haven't really taken the temperature of either tyler or amy on this so i have no idea really where this this is going to go but it's something i've been wanting to talk about on the podcast since your review came out i am already fuming (laughs) so let's start i want to start with you amy like what was your thinking in what what were you thinking what was i thinking (laughs) uh well i was thinking that i don't think the fact that benedict cumberbatch's identity is con is a spoiler and should be a spoiler and i think the only reason that everybody decided it was a spoiler in advance is because uh jj abrams wanted to be a spoiler i think he just deemed it a spoiler i felt like he sort of cast a net over a part of his own plot and just kind of asked all of us not to talk about it. And I don't think it made any sense. And I think it was ridiculous. I think any other director who didn't think his films thrived on mystery uh-huh. would have just been able to know that that was a straight up fact. Like Khan is the villain. Like that Khan is, a, Khan is not a secret. It should be like a selling point. And I, I was so frustrated with him because I felt like in trying to make that topic off limits, when it's something you find out fairly early on in the film, mm-hmm. he limited our ability to write about the film. He limited the, the ability of his company to even sell the film. I feel like he really shot himself in the foot, and I was just so annoyed that everybody was playing along with his arbitrary rule that I think he just sort of made up as like a power play. I just had no patience with it. Uh, that, oh, go ahead. Got, uh, okay, well, that, that reminds me, because um, I also write reviews for our website. No one really pays me to do it, but we have sponsors sometimes, so I, uh, I, that makes me a semi-professional uh, film critic. Um you and I paid ourselves once. Yeah, a couple times. <laughs> it was very exciting. Um, but I remember one of the probably one of the earliest uh, screenings I ever got uh, when I when we first started getting press screenings. One of the earliest ones would have been uh, Midnight in Paris, which um, at the time that I saw it before uh, you know before it came out, I had no idea there was like time travel and shit in it, and so I. Uh, I enjoyed the not knowing. I think, and so I wrote an entire review, not mentioning that. But it was a challenge, and so I—I I, I guess uh, the the question now, I guess, becomes: Do does a does a critic have any? What's the word I'm looking for? Should should you respect what the director wants apart from what is in the film? And think, you clearly clearly feel that no. Oh, I feel like maybe some directors I would, but J.J. Abrams does this on every film, and I find it completely obnoxious. That every film he pretends that there's this big mystery, and when you watch it, it's gonna be, it's gonna like reveal everything, it's gonna change everything, and then you watch his film, and it's always completely straightforward and sort of boring. And so right. I, I don't, I think that he, uh, I think that he f- doesn't trust his own product, and I feel like the fact, okay, let me, I guess I feel like what what I'm saying in essence is that a character's name is a fact. Mm-hmm. The real, the reveal he's con doesn't even mean anything to anybody in the film. They're just, they're not like, oh no, you're a con. They've never heard of him before. Right, and so I feel because of that, it doesn't change anything about our knowledge of the film. Okay, I'm, I'm well, starting to get it because it seems like uh, what you're saying is that keeping Khan a secret for Star Trek: The Darkness was nothing outside of just a marketing tool. Yeah, and, and I feel like it was almost an anti-marketing tool. It was like he was trying to create buzz or secrecy or hype or, and it. it I don't think I think it helped. Uh, I don't think it helped sell the film at all. Like if it had been like, and then Khan does something, right? I wouldn't have revealed that. Like a plot twist. I feel like mm-hmm. that's different. But a fact. And it was on IMDb, by the way, when I wrote that. <laughs> he was already on IMDb as Khan. You know, it's interesting uh, thinking about that specific 
I'll put quotes around twist or uh, reveal. I'll say a reveal. Um, because in the moment when he says, my name is Khan, it, he hits it hard. It is treated as a reveal. Um, By the way, I've never seen the movie. Yeah, it's I, I liked it for the most part. I, I enjoyed it. I uh, And I am familiar to a certain extent with the Star Trek films and to a lesser extent the, the series. But um, what was interesting is that, yeah, like they were really hush-hush about it. They didn't – I. But there was still speculation that he was going to be con anyway. But the, and they specifically said, "No, it's not." Okay, it actually is, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> you know. And then, but what's more is that reveal. I don't think it was for a marketing thing. I think that was to. All right, this is a little cynical, and I don't want to give the impression that I didn't enjoy the movie. I did quite a bit, but it felt like that reveal, as opposed to it just merely being a fact of the film. That was to, I think, trick the audience as they're watching it into thinking this whole thing is so much more monumental than it is. Uh, it's so much more epic than it is. Does, and it's just uh, maybe I'm like the, the fans. Being, maybe I'm the one being cynical. Yeah, okay. Does the the average the average target audience member for Star Trek Into Darkness do they know who Khan is? Yes. I think really? they at least thirteen year old boys. I think they've heard that Khan is a famous they've villain. Heard, they may not have seen the originals. They may not have known about it. Yeah, Klingon, Klingons, and Khan. Yeah, those are the only things that they might know. Exactly know. from but, a, from a cultural osmosis standpoint. Exactly. I don't, but I don't yeah. think I knew who Khan was when I was thirteen, and I'm a bit of a nerd. But okay. now, obviously, not a big nerd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the idea that I mean that this is even a prequel, and like this Captain Kirk has never even heard of Khan. So right. Who 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 cares? Yeah, I mean, it was done very much for the fans but what was interesting is that like i i never saw the original i don't remember the name of it the original episode with Khan. like i never saw that but i know primarily through front of the show paul goble i know certain things like botany bay i know a bunch of frozen superhumans stuff like that and they start to plant those seeds early before they even say Khan, and enough that i'm just like sounds like they're describing the botany bay and i don't even know what that is really uh and so when they finally reveal it, it's like they just it was handled in such a weird way. But I th- I do think it was to trick the the people who went in as like real Star Trek fans and lovers of Khan. Because when I saw it, I saw it opening day with a group of people and it was a full theater. He says Khan. Everyone applauded. That's people what were I mean. thrilled. Yeah. It's like, but I don't, I, I don't even know if they're applauding because of the fact, or if they're applauding because it, w- it's just a great moment. Like that moment should have been in the trailer. Yeah, you know, and also it's not. Uh, he doesn't even pretend in the film that there's a chance Bene- Benedict Cumberbatch might not be evil. Like the very first right. time you even see him in the film, you're like, this is a bad guy. So I mean, I could see them hiding the fact that he's con if maybe like halfway through the film he had gone from being like a benign figure to an evil person. But we know he's evil from the way he's like introduced, sort of glowering in like a doctor's hospital outfit. Yeah. So it doesn't even make sense within the logic of his own film. Yeah. The one thing that they, the one thing that they managed to do is have Kirk and Khan working together for a short time, and that and I thought, oh, that's a neat. Like in this alternate universe, they need this man. But then they undercut that by bringing it, spoilers, everyone. I guess yeah, whatever. Yeah, we say spoilers <laughs> you know, for this our episode I, about spoilers? Oh, come on, the movie opened in May. Right, uh, I and haven't so, seen it. And I don't. I'm, not, I'm never going to see that. Movie. But that's the thing. Lest you think that this con is actually going to be a, some kind of good guy, they bring in old Spock to say he's the the most dangerous guy we've ever had. 
And it's just like, oh, okay, all right. So you are now committed to him being the Moriarty, the Joker, the whatever, the main villain of the Star Trek universe. You are committed to that. So you can't even really commit to the brief nod of, hey, maybe here he started as evil, but he is necessary uh, to uh, achieve achieving good ends. And so now th- this gets away from the spoiler thing, but it does it does get back to like some of the things that I do have a problem with. It didn't spoil the movie. For, it, it didn't ruin the movie for me. Pardon me. Um, but it just seemed like the whole way through the marketing and through the actual way they dealt with the character, they just never seemed to know what they wanted to do. They really did seem to want to have their cake and eat it too. Exactly. Well, and I mean, I didn't read any of the comments on the piece because I was warned not to. Probably a good call. Probably a good call. But what I thought, what I feel like is interesting is kind of from the timber I was getting in from some tweets I got. Mm-hmm. It's not that people were upset that I revealed that it was Khan because they didn't know it was Khan. I felt like they were just upset that I wasn't going along with what JJ wanted. Right. And that it's like the fans feeling like they want to put their faith in this director. And they all knew it was Khan anyways. They just didn't want somebody else to say it. It, it was strange. It felt like this weird sort of a muerta code of silence. Like, is like there... Uh, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll be devil's advocate for this episode. Isn't there something uh, heartening about a bunch of people caring so much about a, a, an auteur, about a director? Uh, like, I mean, I feel like when I was in high school, all I wanted was for other teenagers to care about who directed the movies. And now that they do, like, doesn't that doesn't that mean something? I, I think it does, but I just wish it wasn't J.J. Abrams. Yeah, you know? <laughs> like it, it's like. Oh, I think it's really great that we love our leader, our president, but should we love, you know, old, other evil leaders from other countries? You know, like, mm-hmm. it's, I, he, I think he has the responsibility, if he has that sort of fan faith, to not screw over his fans. And he has just done nothing but do that with every single film. You know, come up with a reason to make it wispy. I feel like what he's trying to do is he's trying well, to You play, don't like any of his films? I feel like I would like them better if he just presented them for what they were. If, if Super 8 was just like, hey, this well, is a really cheesy movie about a bunch of kids and there's this cool monster, instead of being like, you won't know what the monster is. It's like, come on. Well, or see, that, Cloverfield. No, I, you here, won't know what this thing I, is at Cloverfield. And it's like, just tell I didn't us. like Cloverfield. But I like Super 8. Um, and I think uh, another part, I'm going to be in opposition to you here. I think that uh, I, I don't think you should be letting the marketing of a film affect how you view the film. The, well, the thing that's why is, I, I, I generally try to avoid spoilers, which is easier for me to do since I go to press screenings and stuff. There's not trailers uh, and stuff beforehand. So uh, I, I try to separate the marketing from the film. So I don't think I went into Super 8 knowing... I, I hadn't seen any trailers for it. So I didn't have that sense of the mystery. Yeah. Although with that film, I do feel like a lot of the mysterious elements of the marketing did seem to be derived from the tone of the film. Because the fact that we never see them, we never see the monster. Yes, one could make the argument it's the Jaws theory of well, we can't show the monster right away. But there is such an element of mystery to what is, in many ways, a horror movie or a thriller that's just like why. It's, oddly enough, it's the same issue that I have with Scream. It's like you're making a, why are you turning this horror movie into a whodunit? That's odd. Um, but. Uh, I don't know, and so I feel like in that instance, they uh, well, that's a conversation for no, another I love time. Scream. I know so you I'll, do. I'll defend that. To I like time. Scream as well, but it's just it, I just that bothered me. But and so but I, I want to go back to this idea, of, yeah. of going into a movie being aware of the marketing and having that effect. 
how well, you feel about the film. I mean, the, the thing is, if it weren't for the marketing telling us it was a secret, I would have told, said it was con anyways. Yeah, and I, people I, wouldn't I have been that, upset. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's... Uh, I think that is true. In, in, I, I believe you when you say that about this review. Um, but let's you, talk about another movie from the summer. Actually, I'm oh, sorry. Hang on, real quick. So... I'm also going to play devil's advocate because I'm not, although I'm also just not sure where I stand. Um, so David, you mentioned the idea of like, uh, uh, you know, fans uh, rallying to a sp- specific filmmaker and feeling like that you are undercutting what that filmmaker is trying to do. Um, but uh, so I mentioned that when Connor's, when Con is revealed, uh, people in my theater applauded. And so do you think it's possible that people, uh, maybe someone that was in the theater that day, what it was an applause moment. They applauded, and then they read your review the next day, and they think, "Oh, she is robbing somebody of that moment." Because if you go in knowing, you're not going to be quite so inclined to applaud. I don't I, know. What do you, What do you think? I guess I just don't see what it changes. I mean, because there's sort of that line in a lot of movies, like, "I am Batman. I am the Riddler." <laughs> you know, people are I like to have that "I am this thing" moment, and it's still an applause moment, even if you already knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. That's the. Th- that goes back to something that I think David and I have said, which is movies that are true. Like even the term "spoiler" is a little iffy because if this fact, if knowing this fact literally spoils the whole movie for you, then really the movie was only ever about that one gimmick. I exactly agree. And if and if the one gimmick is a character's name, how can you not <laughs> want to just poke a hole in that? Well I don't want I don't want the whole episode to be about about Khan. Because um, well what here's a, here's something I want to say, which is that I generally don't care about spoiler like about being spoiled. Yeah. But I also go out of my way to not spoil movies for people uh, that haven't seen them, and yeah. and, and I wonder because I know, uh, I mean there was a thing, Tyler, a few a few weeks ago, I guess a month ago or, or so, and we did our Comic Con wrap up, and I gave a spoiler warning for the footage that was shown from Thor: The Dark World. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and then it, you, I mean, I think you were being funny, but you also like after the time that someone would have conceivably fast forwarded, you still kept mentioning what the spoiler was. And that's well, it was a weird everything. spoiler, by the way. Was it? It was a weird spoiler, and it apparently a... it's been in like all the trailers. Oh, now, okay. So it's... Are you talking about the hand? Yeah. So apparently, like I, at the time I said that, I didn't know whether or not people Wait, outside of Comic Con. Spoiler knew alert: that. hand. Yeah. <laughs> spoiler alert: hand. Um, but like, I understand you're just being. Uh, funny and kind of antagonistic. Twitter, and two seconds after that showed. But that's know? see, I I I don't think that you can. I I, I, I think, think you have to act have as if it. your your audience hasn't seen the trailers or hasn't or isn't aware of all that. But the way that this game works right now, they showed it to a room full of industry journalists on purpose, knowing they're alive, tweeting it. Like they can't actually be considering that secret. And they also showed it to a lot of uh, nerds who like to be the first ones to know and, <laughs> and need to no, prove that. I totally agree. With that, but I, uh, I guess my point is that I try to see movies divorced from what the studio behind the movie ha- is trying to tell me about them, because I feel like often they're giving the wrong impression. Um, I don't know if Thor really does lose a hand in the movie for some sort of trick, um, and I don't want to have that like be the thing in my mind. It, you know, it's sort of like uh, what's I'm trying to think of an example. Like uh, Adventureland is a movie mm-hmm. that we always talk about. Is having been poorly marketed. Yes, uh, and that and, and those sorts of experiences are what led me to pretty much stop watching trailers altogether, 
uh, and, and so I guess maybe it's idealistic of me when I'm writing a review, but I tend to imagine that my audience also hasn't seen any trailers. It's hard to know. It's hard to, to navigate those waters because the fact is they do. They have seen the trailers. That's probably why they're interested in the film. Um, and so, don't get me wrong, I agree with you, but from a purely practical standpoint, if we are, try- if we are trying to be the audience stand-in, albeit the audience expecting the absolute best, if that's what we're trying to be, then should we try to... Because I, I take a page from your book. I try not to see trailers mm-hmm. either, but... Do I have a responsibility to see trailers because that's about as informed as the audience is going to be? That's I, true. I almost never see trailers myself. I think that's interesting that all three of us do it. I, I Because I don't... I, I always think about the time I saw In Bruges, which we've probably talked about before as being my favorite movie, one of my favorite movies of all I've time. I've actually never seen it. Oh, it's so no, good. No, I should, right? It's good stuff. Yeah. But then I saw Seven Psychopaths and I really just dis, really disliked that It's movie. better than Seven no, Psychopaths. I didn't see that one on Yeah. Enough. But you, I, that was a movie I walked into, didn't know anything about it. Didn't, like, I didn't even know who was in it. I hadn't really paid any attention to my email. And I sat down and I was just blown away by how amazing that movie is. Mm-hmm. And then I went home and watched the trailer for it. And the trailer made it look like the worst thing in the world. It made it look like this like really rip-off like, Tarantino comedy. Yeah. And sometimes I find it interesting to watch a trailer after the fact just to be mad at it. Oh, yeah. I often watch trailers yeah. after I've seen the movie. But I just tend to find, if I watch a trailer inadvertently, I just tend to find myself waiting the whole movie for that one thing to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and you just like tick off like a bingo box. You're like, okay, well, he hasn't said that yet. And he hasn't said that yet. Yeah. And I hate playing that game of like, well, where is this going to fit in? I, I really like being just completely in the moment. Uh, yeah. So to get back to writing reviews, keeping that in mind, um, I guess... Uh, the the hypothetical I want to give out uh, to uh, okay I've, I've been devil's advocate but now I want to actually support your Star Trek Into Darkness review because why thank you I'm gonna cheers beer cans with you just loud <laughs> enough that people can hear I hope I hope that got picked <laughs> up because um, here here's the reason why ultimately it doesn't bother me uh, I went back and forth after I read your review but it doesn't bother me that you spoiled the thing that I don't care about I still Maybe object to even using the word spoiled okay yeah and I yeah. I support but here's the thing anyone who may have been upset by that A is gonna see the movie no matter what you wrote and B if they're gonna be that upset by it why are they write, reading reviews before the movie's com- movie comes out because exactly. I if the on the rare occasion that there's something that I don't want spoiled which Happens more with TV, I think. I'm trying to think of any examples where I've actually avoided reviews. It, it sort of never happens. Um, with TV, you're right. Like, I haven't read anything of this season of Breaking Bad because I'm behind. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I read after after I've watched each episode. I read everything that I can because mm-hmm. um, I've become uh, I've become a fanboy. Like, I've come to the point with Breaking Bad that I can no longer be a critic. Like, uh, I, I'm going to defend... Like, I get that way with... Like, Lost was probably the last TV show... I've been like that. And then with movies, I was with like that with the Harry Potter movies where I was more, too much of a fanboy. And then most recently, uh, and this is completely off topic, but the Hangover movies, which I love beyond like all reason. And Yes, beyond all reason is completely <laughs> right. Uh, we can talk about that in a second. Uh, it'll be off topic. Um, but uh, uh, I, I guess the, the flip side of what I just said about how like the people who are upset shouldn't have been reading in the, the review or are going to see it anyway... Uh, that means the people whom you actually might have convinced to see the movie by writing that didn't care. Exactly. And those, so 
is that your audience? Is the audience the people who are upset, or is your audience the people whom, whose minds you actually might be able to make up about going to see a movie? Yeah, and I think it's the latter. I agree, and it was actually a pretty positive review. Um, I mean, yes, I, that's it, worth mentioning. This wasn't uh, yeah, Avengers it, Redux. It wasn't the same. <laughs> I think I was just actually frustrated. I was like, oh, I wish he would have said it was gone. Like, I don't, I don't know if I said that those exact words. But that, yeah, but yeah. That, that, well, I think, because I, I went back, you said that's not a spoiler, it's a selling point. I think yes, that's the actual that's what I said. Use, yeah. yeah, and I, I really believe that. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. Let's talk about The Hangover real quick. Because I've talked about it ad nauseum on the show before, but... Uh, it's I, weird, I feel like, based on my own reaction, I feel like you're about to talk about college football. Because I found myself <laughs> just being like, Meh. Because I talked about it to you before, but... Yeah. Um, I think over the course of the three Hangover films, Todd Phillips has grown leaps and bounds as an auteur. And yes, the movies get less funny. I guess the third one's funnier than the second. But they stop being comedies at a certain point. They're 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 action comedies with emphasis on the action. And obviously, there's a lot of repetition in the second one. I was rewatching some of the second one just last night, actually. Uh, I don't, and I understand that complaint. I don't care about all that. What I care about is that each film in the series feels more and more personal to Todd Phillips in his point of view and his sort of like uh Gigi Allen inspired provocatorism punk rock point of view and the fact that he wants to splatter pig's blood all over Ed Helms in the second one just to like fuck with the like he knows his audience is mainstream and so he wants to like have a monkey get shot and then splatter pig's blood all over and then the third one knock a giraffe's head off and like do all this insane stuff that I feel like I guess I feel like it's really punk rock. That's why I like the Hangover movies. You know what I really wish you would have done with the second one? What? Like, I didn't mind the repetition in a weird way, but I wish you would have just, like, really, really rolled with it. Because I think, like, the, the missing thing that they could have done that would have made the second one actually maybe a good film is if you find out that Alan, Zach Galifianakis, Galifianakis' character, uh-huh. was literally planning this entire thing to happen from the beginning so he could relive the first one. And he becomes, like, a jigsaw sort of figure. <laughs> like, if he was an evil mastermind, because it fits his character. It was yeah. the greatest weekend of his life. And if he had done the whole thing deliberately, and you realize the whole course of the movie, he's like, no, guys, we should really go over here to this type prostitute you're like oh my god it's him and he's leading it that like would have that. made it brilliant but that messes with my theory that um each film has a different lead that the first film is about bradley cooper's character the second film is about ed helms and the third film is, is about zach galifianakis anyway i've spent and, a and, lot of time thinking about the hangover films and nobody Did you see cares about justin bartha yes <laughs> did you like it i liked it better than the second one i think that's uh, i really wish they would have had the balls to actually kill one of the four guys like if they had actually killed justin bartha i would have respected that a lot yeah i kind of agree yeah i guess that's a spoiler justin bartha survives the movie <laughs> <laughs> i guess at that point they are they officially cease to be a comedy when they kill off one of their main characters yeah and i i, I but fitting into my like punk rock provocateurism thing that would have been really awesome if it's just like halfway through the movie one of the guys gets shot in the face or something that would i would have really appreciated that and that's where the studio thing comes in and you're just like (laughs) yeah they're not gonna let that happen so all right um we've gotten off topic um well uh, the the thing i kept i i wanted to talk about um to again move away from star trek but to keep with this summer's movies another movie i didn't see and will probably never see was iron man 3 Mm-hmm. And so uh, I want to give. Did you see it? I did. Okay. Um, I guess that the hypothetical I want to give out is well, I, I know you saw it. You have an opinion, but let's say you think the twist about the Mandarin at the end is really, really stupid. Let's just say that. 
um, does that make you more or less likely to does that make it more uh, is it open season then on that for you before the movie if you think it's stupid are you more protective of a spoiler if you think it works I feel like that is a spoiler I I would not have revealed that because you genuinely even if you thought it was really stupid yeah which I didn't I actually liked it but like I you genuinely think he is the bad guy for two thirds of the film right And and people are trying to figure out what is his story what's going on with him Exactly. And what I really loved about the way, I mean, I I know this keeps jumping back to marketing, but I find film marketing so interesting. What I love about the way they sold that is they really sold that he was the villain. They weren't like, who is the villain? You know, they like, they hid it in plain sight. I have tremendous respect for the sheer balls of that movie, both the film itself and the way it was marketed. Because first off, you're going to piss off the purists. Mm Mm-hmm. And the minute I saw them, like, I'm enjoying this, but man, oh man, I can, and I started listing off the people I know that are going to, that would be like, this is bullshit. And so, um, but, but the it, thing is, but their willingness like, to do that, I thought was amazing because they would never times. do that with the Joker or any like chief rival of a hero. And, but man, I, I I'm not I sure if I liked it, but I respected it so what, much. Yeah, what I, I would say is that. Uh, I mean, uh, sorry to be mean to the nerds who I know are our listeners slash fans, but... You mean me? I'm right here, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, like, the comic book nerds and stuff, like, y- they're going to get your $12 or whatever, no matter what. No matter yeah, yeah. what they do with the Mandarin, you're buying a ticket to that movie. So why should they... Uh, why, why should they respect what you want out of it? Because you know what? Even if you hate Iron Man 3, you're going to see Iron Man 4. Because that's who you are. And so, I've been saying almost as long as we've been doing this podcast, that, uh, to quote um, Jay Sherman from The Critic, uh, 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 John Lovett's character, just don't go. Yeah. If you just stop going to all the movies, your voice will have more of an impact. Well, and you know what I find really interesting about what you're saying is those people know they're not even going to like Iron Man 4, is the thing, <laughs> but they're going to go anyways to hate watch it. And I feel like us critics are sort of stuck in the middle of that. Like, we're the people who see the films that they're going to hate no matter what. Hate or love. Like, there's no middle ground. You know, they're going to love, 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 or pretend to love it until the time they see it. And it's going to be love or hate. And it's going to be really strong. And the fact that we're seeing it first and that we have to talk about the things that they're already just really sensitive about. Uh-huh. It's like, it's like... It's like these movies are their ex-girlfriend and we're the new boyfriend of that girlfriend and we're stuck in an elevator with them. And it's like you're sort of damned if you do and damned if you don't. There's nothing you can say that's going to make the situation okay. Um, But I feel like there's just such a hostile kind of controlling relationship right now between fans and studios because these fans are right that they're like sort of being not treated like garbage is really strong, but that they're being sort of their love is being taken advantage of or just taken for granted maybe is more accurate. And I think it's so touchy, and we're the people who are having the conversation about it in public. And so the hate comes to us in our comment section. Yeah. Oh, I think that uh, that's a big part of the reason why I... Because I am, uh, you know, I have a day job and I get to choose which movies I go review. The o- I think the only, like, major blockbuster this whole summer that I reviewed was Pacific Rim. I haven't seen... I've seen very little else, I'd, and I didn't review anything else that was a big... Right? I'm trying to think what else. I saw The Purge. That doesn't count. That's not a big enough one. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. And, I f- uh, okay. and, and that's... Uh, now I forgot what I was going to say. But um, uh, yeah, I don't want to be involved in that if I can avoid it. Now, yeah. uh, the second I get hired you know, to be a critic for someone, I'll go see whatever you want me to see. You know, <laughs> uh, you know I'm a, I'm a, I, I could be professional. But 
I tend to avoid those kind of, and I tend to avoid those kind of movies just in my casual viewing anyway. It's not franchises are not my thing generally. Yeah, it's. I feel like you guys might have already touched on this, but I was distracted by my screaming neighbors. Um, but for okay, so while I was in Switzerland, uh, Jen and I went and saw uh, Elysium, a film that uh, had art. I mean, it had already been released in the states, and uh, so it was a, it was a couple weeks old. And I had heard not great things about it, and so I didn't think I was going to like it that much. But it was first off, it was like eh, there wasn't much else to do that particular night, so we thought like we'd give that a try. But also, it was a film that I. I was interested in being part of the conversation. And so I gave the, a film that I thought wasn't going to be that great. I gave it my money mm-hmm. so that I could talk about it. And now, of course, because we have this show and stuff, I felt I feel a certain responsibility to be a part of certain conversations. Um, but uh, And I, I got burned. Okay. Both times, because I used to be the person who actively avoided being part of the conversation because mm-hmm. I've always been... First and foremost, not a joiner. Um, You're a loner, daddy. <laughs> that's right, not a rebel. Um, oh man, have you been to those dinosaurs? Oh yeah, they're creationist. The creationist now. museum yeah. now? It's crazy. Have you been? What? We'll talk, okay, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The two times in twenty like twelve that I decided I'm going to go see a movie just to be part of the conversation, I didn't like the movie either time, and that's Cavern in the Woods and Prometheus. Uh, I thought those were little stupid movies, and I was like, I could have done something else with my $15 or whatever. Anyway, um, you, so the dinosaurs from Pee-wee's Big Adventure, you know? And oh, okay, also yes. from The Wizard with Fred Savage. Oh, I don't remember that. Okay. Favorite movie when I was a kid. Uh, we're going to go off topic for the a second The Power here. Glove? Are you kidding me? Like, there's but, such a such a like a like marketing thing where it's like, oh, look at that badass kid with his Power Glove. That guy was I one of my first crushes. Lucas Barton, the actor okay. whose name is Jackie Vincent, one of my first crushes for real, and then he became a child molester. Oh, really? Yeah. If you Google his name, Jack Vincent, he was arrested for lewd acts with an underage child, something like Rhode Island. He doesn't. He became a brunette. He doesn't even look the same. I'm trying so hard not to make a joke right now, yeah, but about his power glove. Yeah, let's move on to the dinosaurs from Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which okay. have since been—they're still there, but they've been sold by whoever initially owned them and bought by some fundamentalist Christians who have turned the inside of the dinosaur, the the, the brontosaurus, into a creationist museum and gift shop. All about how dinosaurs and humans were friends. Yeah, it's insane, and it's free. Yeah, you got to go. Do I? You've been to Palm Springs a number of times. You never stopped? It's right off there. Oh, I didn't know. Oh. Yeah, it's right by all the, the spinning things. Okay. Oh, yeah, I've driven by it. I didn't know that's... Okay, that's oh, interesting. Other, other story. I don't think I'm going to do that. Uh, other story about the dinosaur guy. There's... um, Oh, what's the fucking name of the college? In like... Um, Harvard? In, no, in Wood, over in Woodland Hills, there's a small college called like... Pierce or something like that, and on their grounds they have all these weird ass statues. You can look up them, look at them online. That are uh, like the proportions all off. They're kind of creepy. They're also really racist. Like they're like Indians, like trying to rape white women and stuff. But then they're also like bloody. Like the white woman has her thumb in the Indian's eye, and he's like bleeding. And there's this statue. And the story behind it is that in the 40s there was this guy, John E. something, um, who owned a motel in Burbank. And he decided he wanted to make his motel uh, a tourist attraction, a, a stop. So he he hired the guy who did the dinosaurs to come okay. and turn the grounds of his motel. The, the same guy who made those dinosaurs, he hired him to come and turn his hotel mo, or motel grounds into like a wild west town. The guy who did the dinosaurs worked one day, 
the guy who owned the motel saw what he was doing and was like, I can do that, fired him, and made these weird-ass statues all by like these weird violent racist statues that are really ugly to look at and disproportionate all by himself using his own like wife and daughters as models uh. <laughs> it's the creepiest thing in the world i haven't i've never actually gone to see them in person i've looked at them online they're just over in woodland hills though some of the most fascinating art has come from someone saying i could do that uh, <laughs> almost anything uh, in the christian film world uh will have that quality to it uh and speaking of which um so talking about spoilers and when it's appropriate to uh, discuss them, I do want to bring up my other podcast, More Than One Lesson, because, uh, David, you've listened to it from time to time. I listen to, time. to it um, semi-regularly. Hey, all right. That's exciting. Um, I have... Uh, when are you going to start a podcast? Uh, you know what? I'm so glad you asked that. You, that that was not like a shill thing. Uh, the Village Voice just started one yesterday. Yeah, yeah, and I'm on it. Oh, uh, LA Weekly and Village Voice are connected. I don't know right. if that's common knowledge for everybody. Uh, everyone, the, everyone who's anyone knows that. <laughs> All right, well, if you didn't know that already, you'd be ashamed of yourself. And your li- your your listeners and fans are the everyone's and everyone's. Yes. But yeah, we just started it. Uh, Stephanie Zakrak out of New York, or Stephanie Zakarik. Uh and Alan Shearstall, my film editor, who is hilarious and probably okay. the funniest person I know, and then me. So, uh, yeah, our first podcast went up yesterday, and we talk about One Direction, and we talk about Morgan Spurlock being a moron, and we talk about, oh, Brian De Palma and Passion, because I sat down with Brian De Palma mm. when I was in New York a couple weeks ago. Oh, I, I haven't seen Passion or read, you wrote a thing yeah, that was just, in just no. today's, yeah. right? I have it in my bag over there. there, I haven't read it yet. Um, yeah. But I saw the original, the French movie... Whatever I love crimes, I love think it's crime. called. Yeah, I didn't like it very much. Well, that's what's funny about it is I asked him, uh, you know, that kind of puff question, like, "Well, why didn't you remake this film?" And I was expecting that puff answer, where he's like, "I just really liked it," and he said, "Oh, I saw it and I knew I could make it better." <laughs> I love that because it is not great. Yeah, well, neither is his really, but it's just very him, so I respect it. Hmm. Um, uh, so when are you gonna ha- start having guests? On yeah, the, yeah, uh, on your podcast. It's a, it's a good question, <laughs> David. That's a good question. Do you guys know any guests? <laughs> I can think we, we've got, we've got my head. I, you know what? I can think of one I can recommend, and I think David can think of one as well. <laughs> well, yeah, it's going to be weekly. We're about half an hour. Next week, we're talking about Riddick. Okay. All right. Oh, all right. I, can't, I can't think of anybody for that for one. that convenient moment of accidental product placement. So, uh, how would people find it in iTunes? Or, uh, uh, yeah, it's the it? voice film group something like that i just tweeted out a link to it today okay. yeah and we're gonna start embedding it on the la weekly homepage probably in a week or two I think. okay they're oh like boy. programming it or something i don't know how very exciting we you were can, gonna ask we can right? totally exploit that all right <laughs> now uh yeah so uh so i've been doing the show for uh several years now and you'd think that in that time i would have made peace with the fact that every episode is just filled with spoilers I mean, it's just to the point where, I mean, we we don't even necessarily say it because it's just assumed at this point. Because but we're talking about films from a purely thematic... I mean, we talk about the, I, the artistic part of it, but we talk about it thematically. View, I know okay. that because I listen. My point of view, and we're getting into like the, uh, I guess, uh, innards of how you make a podcast. I still think that you shouldn't assume that everyone who's listening is a regular listener and you should still make an announcement at the top of every show. Okay that we're going to get into spoilers. Yeah. But that's going back to my thing where I care about... Uh, I wish I had Amy's gene of being able to 
write something and not care about all the all the people or maybe you enjoy pissing off people oh no 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 <laughs> i just i write the review that i would want to read that's and, all and mm-hmm. I, I i think that's a hurdle that i have trouble getting over that i sometimes i don't want people to be mad at me <laughs> i just it's it's a little thing i call don't read the comments okay and also drink heavily and only hang out with your friends Hard not to read the comments when you're the one moderating them, but um, yeah, there's that. But it is the uh, but that's the thing is, and so I will say this that uh, that Josh and I and and even I when I was hosting it alone, uh, if it is the t- for example we talked about Iron Man three and there was something in it that was definitely a spoiler for for lack of a better term, it had that quality to it. So anytime we talk about a movie that does have that sort of thing, we will usually announce before we talk about it in depth. Like, hey, by the way, we're about to say a major plot twist here, so you you should skip ahead a few minutes or something like that. Or just from here on, not listen, because mm-hmm. the bulk of the episode's going to be about that. But um, but what was interesting, and people wrote in, and they were very respectful. They weren't jerks about it. But for example, so Josh and I have been going through our personal top tens. And so that involves, you know, talking about the last laugh you know, or the Maltese Falcon. These are old movies, mm-hmm. but a movie like The Last Laugh in 2013, it is not assumed that people have seen it just because it's old. In fact, you should probably assume assume people have not seen it. Most people, I would venture to say, the, the vast <laughs> majority. Yeah, and so, um, but I, but so, but because they're older movies and they're movies that I love and stuff, we would just speak very freely about them. And I got an email. I got a couple emails from people saying, "You know, you really should just try to give people kind of a hint of these, and just kind of entice them, and then we'll seek them out on our own." I disagree with that. Okay. All I think is that you should have, like, I talked about tweaked audio every week okay. here. You should, I think, every week on your podcast, just just as a reminder. Okay. Uh, we're going in depth, so we're assuming you've seen the movie. Well, okay. well I don't want to make people mad here or anything, but I feel like. Wait, are you going to spoil Iron Man 3 right now? <laughs> I feel like people have just it gotten really con- oversensitive to spoilers. I feel like complaining about spoilers is just the new knee-jerk thing about like being allergic to gluten. You know, <laughs> I feel like it's just an excuse for people to be mad all the time. Because uh, it's such a new phenomenon, this whole spoiler thing. And I feel like every year, the definition of what a spoiler is gets stretched like broader and broader and broader. And if you're getting complaints about spoilers for talking about the Maltese Falcon, I feel no. like we've like really crossed a line. I mean, I feel like it's our responsibility in a way, as people who write and talk about movies, to start kind of redrawing the line back to where it belongs. Like, I feel like... And where does it belong, in your opinion? Well, I let's talk it out. Like, All I feel right. like, for one, you know... Can we use Mandarin as an example just as, like, a fictitious one? Sure. Cool. So I think, like, talking about the Mandarin twist before the movie comes out, 100% a spoiler. Weekend of, probably a spoiler. Uh, this when, is what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Because you said, like, with Star Trek, you said May. You know, it came out in May. Yeah. That it should be fair game now. So what is... Well, do you I, have a specific, like, calendar where you go... Honestly... So you're counting down the days till I, I can talk like, about the Mandarin? Well, yeah. I feel like if you're a person who really cares about Star Trek and you really wanted that twist to be preserved, you would have seen it by now. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like if you didn't care enough to see it by now, you aren't, aren't allowed to care enough to pretend that you're mad at me. Because you really can't be. You really can't be that mad or you would have already done this. I kind of completely agree. Now, I think it gets into... Real quick. Okay. Um, I know we're a movie podcast, but um, it gets into a little bit more difficulty when you talk about television. Very much not so. everybody has the same access at the same time. Do you know what I mean? I you do. know, some people don't have AMC and might have to wait until it's available on Netflix or on DVD to watch Breaking Bad. 
Um, but even in that case, I still mostly put the onus on them to avoid it. I do. I think like if you tweet a spoiler in your tweet, you're a jerk. If you tweet a link to a spoiler and somebody clicks on it and reads it, that's your fault. That, yeah, you, that's, yeah. yeah, that's their fault. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm on the same page. And this, of course, gets muddied even more by something like House of Cards or Arrested Development, where everything is available at one time, and some people will watch all of it in one day, yeah. and yeah. some people will purposely stretch it Yeah, s- what are the rules for Orange is the New Black? Exactly. Like, Ugh. It's, it's, it's what, 13 episodes? It's been less than 13 weeks since it premiered. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about the final episode? Yeah, I mean, I, I know, know that, you know, I watched Arre- the first season, uh, not the first season, pardon me, the, uh, the newest season of Arrested Development uh, over the course of a few days while I was working. Uh, but I know that uh, it took like a month to watch it. Yeah, Rudy Obias watched it in one day, then watched it again. I think the next day. Well, Rudy is a madman. Yeah, I met him in New York. Oh yeah, oh, how's yeah. he doing? He's good. He's I good. Seen, I haven't seen him in person in years, but I. I know he stopped coming to Comic Con. Yeah, well, he goes to Sundance now. That's his thing. Boo. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you'll never catch me at Sundance. Uh, it's cold because I can't afford it. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> um, I well, I I, I I like to use my days off as actual vacation like i like to go with my girlfriend somewhere and not whereas i would have to take days off from my day job to go to sundance yeah and work more yeah whereas i got I'd to, go, really to s- go to mexico new orleans or whatever with my girlfriend yeah, i went to switzerland it was awesome but you, saw- you worked as well or jen did yeah jen jen shot a wedding yeah and just i saw the one i saw elysium yeah just the one that time you were there for two weeks for one wedding yeah awesome well i mean we were there for a few. We were there for three days for one wedding. The rest of the time oh, so was a vacation. You exper- uh, yeah, see. yeah. So basically, we just using the, the excuse. You know, her plane ticket and some of her lodging was taken care of, so we could justify turning it I into see. a vacation for both of us. Uh, so okay, here's a question I was going to ask because you know, in talking about uh, there being a, a statute of limitations, if you run across somebody, and I have from time to time, if you run across somebody who has not seen Psycho and they do not know the twist. Now, strictly speaking... I find it harder to believe that someone doesn't know the twist of Psycho than that a 13-year-old knows who Khan is. All right. Speaking (laughs) facetiously, not facetiously, but uh, theoretically, but I have run across people uh, in this instance. But that's the thing. As much as I enjoyed Star Trek Into Darkness, uh, compared to Psycho, who gives a shit? <laughs> All right? And for someone who to have gone this long, and that secret has been preserved. Now, strictly speaking, you know, the movie's 53 years old now, right? 1960? I'm not good at math. And so, um, so I could... They could say, like, oh, I haven't seen Psycho. And I'd be like, like oh, really? Oh, you're going to love it when you find out this. Yeah. But I'm definitely not going to say that. Because that is a spoiler that would, certainly at the time they, they wanted to maintain. But there's something about the better a movie is and the bigger deal the spoiler is within a good movie. The more – it doesn't matter if it's – one day old or 60 years old, I will do everything I can to preserve that experience. It's funny the, that's that experience. Example because that's such a great movie whether you know that or not. 
It's true. Oh, also, no question what's about funny it. Funny about it is, I feel like that and the Crying Game are two that's, films where everybody knows the spoiler yeah, and they yeah. don't even know the rest of the movie. That's a, yeah. Crying Game is going to be exactly my example because everyone knows the spoiler of the Crying yeah. Game. But that's halfway through. That that's the thing. They, what they don't realize, like with Psycho, that it's not a big reveal at the end of the Crying Game. It's halfway through the movie, and there's a whole half of the movie after that, and it's about so much more than that. And it's a really, really great movie. You know, it's, it's one of my favorite of. Um, uh, Neil, Jordan's Neil Jordan's films, actually. Who directed Interview with a Vampire. Which is not Cruise. one of my favorites. You know, oddly enough... Um, Except for the part where Antonio Banderas gets cut in, like, <laughs> like the top third of his body gets cut off, right? Am I thinking... Am I remembering it right? Or is that the other guy? You're thinking of Spy Kids, David. Yeah. Who's the other guy who, like... It's the, the blonde guy who gets, like, scythed. Uh, Dan, I, I don't think Antonio Banderas dies. Okay. But is, isn't it in the same section of the movie with Antonio Banderas? I don't know. I was Yeah, it's, an, it's, it's one of Antonio Banderas' henchmen. I have seen okay. this movie four times in the last six months, so <laughs> I can, ta- I can right. tell oh, you yeah. everything. We talked off air about <laughs> that you wrote a book oh, about yes. Tom Cruise. So you have seen an interview with the vampire four times. How many times did I you watch Jeremy Wire? Uh, probably five or six. I watched every movie three times before I started to write about it. Well, let me ask you this. Uh... Because now, last time you were on, when Tyler wasn't here, I, ta- I think I said that Jerry Maguire is my favorite Tom Cruise movie. What is yours? Uh, I think his best movie in terms of his skill mm-hmm. is Born on the Fourth of July. I which agree. that movie just blows you away when you watch it. Like I, I would try to put it on in the background as I wrote, and I just couldn't even stop watching it. He's, it's ferocious. I mean, it's it's crazy to me that people don't really remember that that's the actor that he is. They just associate him with Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Top Gun. And he's great in Rain Man as he's well. He's great in Rain Man. Uh, I could go on huge tangents about this right now. I, I'm warning you. But, okay. Um, but my favorite performance performance of his is actually Interview with a Vampire. Because it is so silly and it is so sexy and it is so goofy and he took it really seriously. And I don't know if you guys remember, but he got death threats for for taking on the role. Like Anne Rice led death threats against him. Right. And then turned around once it came out. And then turned around once it came out. Which is a funny story. Yeah. In doing my research, I found two full pages of LA Times letters to the editor spread out over the course of a month of people complaining about his casting. I mean, it's crazy. And if I can tell a... Seems strangely uh, relevant now. Yeah. Uh-huh. If I get to like a two minute anecdote sure. about why that movie proves that Tom Cruise is the best actor, it's this. Uh, so Interview with the Vampire, as you guys might know, even if you haven't seen the film, is, uh, is uh, a book about the character Lestat, but told through the eyes of Louis, this vampire played by Brad Pitt. And Louis is like a mopey, depressive, kind of miserable character. Mm-hmm. But this is his story. So he's like framed as the narrator. And um, he sees Lestat as this horrible person. Like, Louis is just like this whiny teenage brat, basically, even though he's like a grown man. Um, so you're supposed to just totally side with him and think Lestat is this villain. So uh, Brad Pitt starts to read the book and gives interviews saying that halfway through reading the book, he threw it in the trash and he didn't mm-hmm. feel like finishing it. The director, Neil Jordan, um, read that book, but that's the only book he read. Tom Cruise, because Tom Cruise is amazing and like the most prepared person of all time, reads that book. Then he goes and he reads every single other book Anne Rice ever wrote with the character Lestat. And there's like five of them. Uh-huh. And when you read the rest of them, you realize that Lestat in the rest of the books is completely different than the way that Louis sees him. In that he's sympathetic and the way that he's like controlling and tries to take care of Louis uh, makes perfect sense because he's like loved other people before, turned them into vampires and they've died or they left him or they like committed vampire suicide. So his character makes perfect sense. And so Tom Cruise plays him like this really sympathetic guy. And it, it kind of ruins the movie because the whole time you're looking at Brad Pitt and Brad Pitt still plays it like 
like straightforward. Like he doesn't get what Brett, what Tom Cruise is doing. So he's like whiny and mad at, at Tom Cruise's character the whole time, and it never makes sense. He actually, Tom Cruise is actually so good at Lestat that he ruins the movie. So what would you give them? Uh, I know you don't do like letter grades or out of stars, but what, what, how would you rank uh, Interview with the Vampire? I mean, it's total schlock, mm-hmm. but it is such a physically wonderful performance. I mean, if you rewatch it, like there's one scene I watch over and over again, even on YouTube, I keep pulling up the, t- the clip where he like teases and tortures this, this uh, prostitute to death. And he's doing it because he's trying to make Louis Brad's pit character eat a human because he's just pretending like he won't eat a human. Uh-huh. And to the stop, this is super frustrating because you're a vampire. And by definition, this is what you have to do. Um, so it's this crazy five minute sequence. And it's all about pain and control and domination. But he plays it like a comedy at the same time. And he's like laughing and he's like jumping on top of coffins. And he's so physically in control of this woman while being angry and sad and hurt and hungry and frustrated. It's like 12 emotions. It's really just one of the best scenes I've ever seen in a movie. So are you looking forward to, uh, what's it called now? Edge of Tomorrow? Edge of Tomorrow. I really wish it was still called All You Need Is Kill. Isn't yeah. that a great mm-hmm. name? It's a it's a grandly stupid name. <laughs> All You Need I Is Kill. I love it. I, they have to change it back. Yeah. So, but you have an answer. Are you looking forward to it? you think it's going to be good? I think it's a really interesting idea. I think he has to stop making action movies because the thing about Tom Cruise is he actually didn't make an action movie for the first 15 years of his career. Like he started in 81 and he didn't make an action movie, honestly, until Mission Impossible. So you're not counting Top Gun as an action movie? I'm not because he doesn't punch anything. He doesn't actually get into any fights. He plays volleyball and he flies a plane. Right. It's really not an action movie. It's a, a romance and like a story about his dead friend and his problems with his dad. Now, Spoilers. <laughs> about goose dying. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say who it was who died. <laughs> I did. Uh, but yeah, it's the, the, he right now Tom Cruise has the career that he never wanted to have. And that's what I find really interesting about him. It's a tragedy. Everybody always treated him like but a meathead. But he still commits to it. Yeah, he still commits he's, to it. Yeah. But he keeps working with Christopher McQuarrie, whom I like. It's true. But what's weird is he never doubled up on actors or on directors until he did, a, until he did Vanilla Sky. He always worked with a different director every single film. And then he did two Jerry, he did two Cameron Crowe, he did two Steven Spielberg, and now he's just all of a sudden in this weird rut where he seems like he stopped trusting people and he only wants to work with like the same handful. Hmm. He's really, I don't know, my epilogue is like a pleading for him to start doing movies with either Tarantino or the Coen brothers. <laughs> because he could kill it. Oh, and yeah. they could write him an amazing part. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. I actually, I, I wanted to. Uh, awesome. When you get me on Tom Cruise, I'm like, from. I crazy. actually think when your uh, when your book comes out, I would not be opposed to doing a uh, artist profile of Tom Cruise. And yeah, uh, should do can I come on? Because yeah, exactly. I will That's talk a, about it a lot. Yeah, it's been be it's been decided. It's, oh no, question about it. <laughs> oh, excellent. Spring um, 2014 uh, from Cayudo Cinema Press. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, I wanted to go back to to Psycho very briefly because yeah. it occurred to me there are two twists when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. The one that I that it might have been that you guys might have thought I was referring to is actually not the one at the end. Oh, it's yeah. the fate of Marion Crane. No, that's what yeah, I that's assumed what you were referring to. I See, and that's forgot about the second twist. <laughs> right, and that's more the twist. The other one is just a development. Yeah. And oddly enough, and so I wouldn't. So yes, the whole film. I mean, you can watch it again, and it's not diminished. But I mean, if you go in not knowing. What happens to Marion Crane? I mean, that is a moment that you can never get back. And that's one where really it's 
I don't know. Like, it's one of the few films I can think of where this thing, it, it's never going to be the same. You have that one moment, and then, yes, I can appreciate Psycho. I've seen it n- numerous times. But, and I think, and I think when I first saw it, I think I knew what happened, and I wish I hadn't. I really wish that I had been one of those people who just, holy shit, this is what, uh, it just boggles the mind. But do you think that, um, uh, maybe TV being what it is now, uh, that maybe audiences are less uh, less likely to be shocked by a major character dying halfway through because I, we're primed for. I think. St- um, I think if something is done well, I think it's always a surprise. I mean, think about it. it like if you cast some, let's go back to Scream. You watch that first scene. No one expected Drew Barrymore yeah. to bite it in the first five minutes, you know, and just because of. Did you ever see um, Ratcatcher, Lynn Ramsey's uh, first feature? That's Mm-mm. a movie that also starts for the first like fifteen minutes. The Drew 10 Barrymore. Minutes, yeah. Starts following this one kid, and then he fucking drowns. Yeah. Like ten minutes into the movie. Yeah. Or That's also uh, Quentin Tarantino and what he did with Grindhouse. You meet Which like that saw. whole group of girls, and you hang out with this one group of girls for like half an hour, and then he kills all of them. Yeah, but that's the thing is, you desperately want them to die, or at least I did. <laughs> because um, you're a misogynist. That's that's the thing. I haven't seen the movie, so I don't. know. I'm against. Uh, I I really hate women, specifically really boring women, which is what I found that first group of girls to be. Um, in the group first of women, the, pardon the, me. The the, the two part uh, uh, premiere of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, Welcome to the Hellmouth parts one and two. Eric Balfour plays a character who's like Xander's like best friend, mm-hmm. and then he dies at the end of the second part. And Joss Whedon, the WB wouldn't pay for two different opening credit sequences. Hmm. Joss Whedon really wanted to put Eric Balfour as one of the stars of the show Ooh. in the opening titles just for those first two episodes. So that when he gets turned into a vampire and then killed at the end of the second one, it would be a big shock. I think that would have been awesome. Oh, absolutely. He could certainly get away with it now, but the WB yeah. in 1997 was like, yeah, paying for that. And let's not forget uh, executive decision. Oh. When uh, Steven Seagal uh, in the first five to ten minutes uh, died. It's a little more than that. Uh, it's Maybe it's, maybe it's I within like it's like five, 20 minutes into the movie. Yeah, I think it's within, within like five minutes of like the siege happening. Um, oh, so, yeah, yeah they, they I think don't it's even that. get into the plane. He or... Kurt yeah. Russell gets into the plane and then he gets sucked out. Yeah, he sacrifices himself. Decision, right? I haven't. Thanks for spoiling it. Okay. Yeah, sorry <laughs> about that. But that's when, uh, I know we were talking about the marketing, but that's one where they really did it right. Yeah. Like, they really made it seem like, okay, this is the movie where Steven Seagal plays the badass he always plays, and then Kurt Russell plays, like, the everyman who gets, he's sort of like the Nicolas Cage in The Rock to yeah. Sean, to Steven Seagal's Sean Connery, although I guess this was before that, or around the same time? Okay. Around the same time. Um... And then, yeah, 20 minutes, like, the whole thing is that they have to get onto this plane that's been hijacked, so they're, like, getting above it and, like, going down. And Steven Seagal never even makes it onto the plane. He gets sucked into the air. Yeah. Uh, and it's, yeah, like, 20 minutes into the movie, and it is, it's, unfortunately, it's the, only, it's the only really memorable thing about that movie. Yeah. Except that it was directed by, I think it was the directorial debut of editor Stuart Baird, who had a long mm. editing career. That sounds that. correct, yes. Um, he did The Omen. And uh, mm. I remember that because The Omen is not a great movie. Like, it doesn't hold up all that well. That's what I saw when I was a kid. It was already old by the time I was old enough to see it. But the uh, the Richard Donner, Stuart Baird commentary on the it's DVD the best. is one of my favorite commentaries of all time. It's they are, great. They're just sort of like uh, glib, sort of older men, just like sort of making yeah. fun of the movie and sort of yeah. having fun. It's a great commentary. Although I am also uh, regularly... Uh, I, I quote Richard Donner in that commentary a lot, uh-huh. uh, 
when I talk about what a director intends as opposed to what he achieves. Oh, this would because, be like J.J. Abrams. Absolutely, mm-hmm. sure. Uh, let's let's let that bring us back. Um, but because uh, he al- he always talks about because he's kind of condemning in the commentary of the Gregory Peck character, saying like, "Well, it's just a series of." You know, it's like it's a series of coincidences that he's interpreting this way and he's incorrect in doing that. And and part of me is like, yeah, that's not the movie you made. That's you like, first off, we are. I remember years ago in Chicago, I was uh, consulting on a on a guy's script uh, after I had graduated and he was still going to school. And uh, and he's like, well, see, I wanted it to be this and this and this. And I was like, oh, OK. You have to recognize at this point that film going audiences are trained to connect dots and it doesn't matter if you don't think they should, they will. And I did as a reader and everyone who reads this or sees it is going to connect these dots. It doesn't matter what you want them to do. And in that way, I felt like that's and I quoted Richard Donner saying like, and I said, did you ever see The Omen? And he said, yeah, I was like, do you think uh, Damien's the Antichrist? And he said, yeah. I was like, okay, Richard Donner thinks that Gregory Peck is crazy in yeah. that. And so it's just like, so it doesn't matter what he thinks. It matters what every single person who saw that well, film, including Jerry uh, Goldsmith, it would appear. Uh, um, <laughs> well, okay, your thing about connecting the dots will get us, I think, to an ending point okay. here because we should wrap up. Um, but uh, uh, That was a tangent, sorry. No, but I, I think it'll bring me back because ultimately we talk about the crying game. We talk about... The sixth sense is often one that, yeah. that that comes up. Usual suspects. Uh, um, well, I, well, I want to talk about things that because I didn't know the twist in Usual Suspects when I watched it. Oh, okay. When I saw the sixth sense, when I saw the Crying Game, when I saw Psycho, I knew what the twists were, and I don't consider my experience or appreciation of the film to have been in any way diminished. So, um, if if in twenty years someone is still thinking about Star Trek Into Darkness and thinking. I would have liked the movie if Amy Nicholson hadn't ruined it for me. Then that wouldn't be a very good movie. Right. I feel the same way. I feel the same way. I, I feel like, you're right, Like if you take away that surprise element and it's still good, that says the film is still good. In fact, I even think that there are films that are better when they are spoiled. Because I kind of like watching the mechanics of how something happens. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Alpha Dog. Have Which we talked I about never Alpha saw. Dog? Mm-hmm. I love Alpha Dog. I think Alpha Dog was like a really underrated film by by Nick Cassavetes. It. it was underestimated because he made uh, the John, Notebook. Oh, well, and he I also think, made John Q, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that I think that cast and it was one of it Justin was, Timberlake's early like first acting roles. So I think people underestimated it because it was like, ah, look at all these pretty boys and, and, and stuff. Anton Yelchin. Star Anton Trek, Yelchin, Star who Trek. I love, who I love. But I think also a big reason why that film is underestimated is because it would have been better if it had been spoiled. Hmm. Because the whole thing about it is it's, um, for people who haven't seen the film, it's based on the true story of a group of sort of like small-time drug-dealing kids, but they're sort of like kids of rich parents, kind of lazy yeah. valley kids. Mm-hmm. And what happens is one of them, the kind of powerful one who's played by Mill Hirsch, is mad at... Uh, this other drug dealer played by Ben Foster, who's amazing. He's, yeah, he's amazing. He's amazing. Yeah. And you know, it's a small thing, and neither of them are even that rich. It's not like this isn't like, you know, Goodfellas or something like right, that. Right. But um, so they sort of impulsively drive by his younger brother on the street, who's Anton Yelchin, and they kidnap him for no real reason. They don't even have a plan. And they take this kid to the desert, and they like hang out, and they drink, and they do drugs, and they become friends with the kid. And then at the very end, this might be a spoiler, but it's based on a true story. Sure. They kill the kid because mm-hmm. they realize that they've actually kidnapped him and this is a felony. And they hadn't really realized that before. Yeah. 
So you watch this film, and I felt like a lot of critics didn't like this movie, and I realized the the reason why they didn't like it is because if you if you watch it not knowing he dies, it's just a film about a bunch of kids getting drunk in the desert. If you watch it knowing that he dies, you realize you're watching a film about how bad things happen and nobody expects them to happen. Mm-hmm. And everything takes on this weird resonance. Yeah. And- there was a couple of years ago, there was a study about this where they um, had, uh, you know, two groups and they gave them each, um, oh, no, I'm forgetting the author's name, but the lottery. What's the the woman who wrote Shirley the- Jackson. Shirley Jackson's the lottery. And then they each gave them the lottery. One person had the untouched version. And then one... Uh, one person they doctored they added like a, just a paragraph in early on that explained what the lottery was and the people who knew what the lottery was at the beginning of the movie actually rated the story higher they liked it more i like that See, well and and now a film that i haven't seen but is getting a lot of press is fruitvale station which is one that uh, based on a true story in which very tragic outcome and i feel like that's one where the filmmakers are counting on you knowing what happens so that every everything leading up to it even the, even and maybe most especially the most mundane things the character does is just like oh that's the last time he's going to do that mundane thing and i, I haven't seen it yet when i think you got to my this is again a tangent but my trepidation about seeing the film mm-hmm. is that i'm afraid that it'll be it's own that it'll only be resonant because i know how it ends have you seen it I haven't. I need and to. So none of us have seen it. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Well, this was fun. Everybody got anything else to say about spoilers? Well, uh, this isn't so much about spoilers, although, although I guess it, it connects to it. Uh, there was something I was thinking about, and once I started heading down this rabbit hole, I realized, like, oh, <laughs> shit. This is, not, this is not only a whole episode. Okay. This might be a whole different way of thinking for me. A whole uh, new podcast. A whole, another podcast. a whole new world. <laughs> A, a new, new fantastic, fantastic point, point of view. view. <laughs> um, don't you dare close your eyes. What a horrifying <laughs> lyric. Um, but uh, that won an Oscar. So um, so I was thinking about movies that I had seen many times and movies that you know can be viewed several times. We talked about it uh, in, in this episode. And I thought, so, okay. There are, okay, so you see a movie the first time. And it's all new to you. Then you see it again. And maybe there are things that you didn't see there before and all that. Now, our friend Townsend Coleman told me that if you haven't seen it before, it's new to you. That's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> friend of the show. Yeah. Um, but uh, he was paid to say that, though. <laughs> yeah, he, by the way, uh, yeah, we had a guy on the show who was a voice actor who was the guy who did the NBC's It's New to You campaign. I don't know if you remember that when they would show yeah, reruns. In the their 90s. Ad, their, yeah, their ad for, if you haven't seen this episode of Friends before, it's new to you. And he was the voice of that. Yeah, anyway, and I guess also he was the voice of Michelangelo and The Tick. But mostly he was the NBC is new to you guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how that's how everyone knows him. But... Uh, but the thing that gets me, okay, so it's, there's going to say, I, I feel like I can't even really explain it, is this idea of which is the, is one better than the other? Are they equal? Or is one how you are meant to see a movie? Like, are you meant to see a movie for the first time when everything is new and you don't know what's going to happen and the, the, and if it's a story-based film, if it's a narrative film, uh, you know, you're watching stuff, you don't know what's going to happen. And so at that moment, the drama is at its most crackling. It's at its most 
uh, immediate. And when you see it again and you know everything that's going to happen, yes, it could still be powerful, but it's never going to have that initial thing. And so in a way, one could make the argument, I don't know if I agree, one could make the argument that a film is only ever meant to be seen once. And after that, you're just kind of, it's just you trying to figure it out or you just trying to revisit this thing. Just, and I don't even really know what the question is, but it's something that once I started thinking, it's like, I need to stop thinking about this for a until we can, I can talk about it with people well, that are like minded. I mean, Polly and Kale had a had a standard. Like Polly and Kale would Who? never watch a movie twice. <laughs> <laughs> I must hit you. <laughs> but I mean, hearing you talk about it, what I think about it is the movie Synecdoche, New York, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Wait, wait, I'm sorry, Synecdoche, New York. Oh yeah, yeah, I didn't like that movie. I well, I'm gonna hit you again. <laughs> no, um, the first time I saw Synecdoche, New York, I watched it very in the moment, trying to understand what was happening, and I was so intellectually caught up in the film mm-hmm. that. I I knew I loved it. I knew I loved it, but it wasn't until the second time I saw the film and I and I had a better grasp on what it was mm-hmm. that I really could feel the emotions of it. And the second time I saw it, I cried like the the entire last fifteen minutes, mm-hmm. which I couldn't have done if I was watching it for the first time. And it's and that and so I feel like now, admittedly, now when somebody when a director makes a film, they know it's going to be on DVD and Blu-ray and that sort of thing, so they know that people are going to see it. But of course. You know, 50, 60 years ago, when the when film was first, you know, created, it was not a guarantee that someone was going to see this over and over again, or that it would be readily available. Yeah, it might play so, in your town for a week and never ever yeah. again. But and but so, it, with that changing, filmmaking has changed. Right. You know, I'll give the example of uh, uh, Edgar Wright, who just had a movie out. Um, mm-hmm. Which I'll be seeing in a couple hours. Uh, Edgar Wright clearly makes films intending you to have seen them more than once. Right. You know, there's a uh, um, someone else was just pointing this out to me that uh, there's a whole thing in Hot Fuzz about him trying to capture this swan, mm-hmm. right? Uh, now, when he first gets to town, he checks into the swan hotel. The mm-hmm. first time you watch that, you wouldn't know that that's like a little joke right. because you don't know the swan thing is yet to come. He's clearly... Yeah. And to, uh, I guess, case in point, The World's End, I liked it a lot more the second time I saw it than I did the first time. And so, Did you like The World's End? I did, I did, I did. Okay, so here's my question, though. Is okay. I'm sorry. The suspense this, is killing I, me here. Jesus. It's, it, it's not. A, I'm sorry that it's suspenseful. I'm just trying to figure out how to say it, or if it's even a thing. Like, yes, all right. So filmmakers are now making movies with the intent, not always with the intention, but if they want to, it's okay. I'm going to layer stuff in so that people are rewarded for seeing it a second, third, fourth time, whatever. Um, but that's the thing is. So you're seeing it, and you might see more things, and so in that way, you're seeing new things. It's a whole. It's in in some ways, it's a new movie because now there's this other layer. Um, but is that how? <laughs> is it better to make a movie that is most effective on first viewing, or most effective when you see it a second, third, fourth time, or whatever? The latter, I think. The uh, the latter, okay. I yeah. think the second is art, but the first can be amazing big blockbuster popcorn. Okay. But I'm not really, I guess, not interested in that. It's true, you but know? everybody else is. Um, uh, you know, I was just but thinking the, of, but, I'm not sure what this okay. has to say about anything, but um, I was, if while Tyler was saying that, I was thinking of a movie, I actually ran into you after the screening of Two Guns. Right. Which I really liked, by the way. I thought it was, I thought it was great. <laughs> it was really cool. Uh, but clearly, okay, every, like, 
I don't even watch trailers, and I know going in, these are both undercover agents. But clearly the first, like, 12, 15 minutes of the movie is made for the weird, like, uh, person living under a rock who doesn't know that they're undercover agents going in. Like, it's made, they don't tip their hat, like, until, uh, like I said, like, 15 minutes in. Like, they're supposed to be drug runners or whatever. Um, And I found myself, while watching the movie, like, reflecting on that. Like, no one in this theater is falling for this right now. Like... And uh, and how will the movie play in 30 years when it's, like, something that someone, you know, downloads and, and watches not knowing anything about it? Will it be – will that surprise when Denzel Washington, like, when the one guy leaves the room and then he says to the interrogator, like, oh, you realize, oh, he knows him. Like, will that surprise mean anything to someone who I doesn't know? I feel dumb because I was surprised. <laughs> you didn't know that they were – I think I had known, like, seven months before, but I right. had forgotten. Oh, well, see – uh, but did it, do you okay then you're the perfect thing, person then would 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 you have enjoyed the movie any less if you knew at the beginning that they're undercover agents i think i would have i just really enjoy mechanics i like watching it with that sort of like view of god and thinking like oh look how he's misdirecting us here i, I find that story it's a different story and i find that story also interesting hmm. and if a movie doesn't even have that story like there is no story of the mechanics of how he's how how jj abrams is hiding that it's cotton there's no mechanics to it. He's just saying this is a secret. Don't talk about it. So it wouldn't even be interesting in that layer. Because so it's it, happening, I, I guess, uh, it's happening outside of the film itself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, there's nothing There's nothing specific, as opposed to like Iron Man 3, yeah. where it's, it reminds me of something. Oh, okay. So uh, in a screenwriting class that I took in school, uh, I believe uh, you know M. Night Shyamalan was still a important filmmaker um <laughs> and so uh there was still a vitality to him but um sorry that got me yeah i'm sorry uh so six sense of course you know blew everyone away and and at the time i think it was just six Sense, unbreakable and i think signed was on the horizon i don't think it had even come out yet so the idea of him needing to embrace no that was 2002 Signs so i guess 2002 so, okay so there are the three and so at this point the idea of like okay there's going to be a twist mm-hmm. uh or something like that uh that was kind of a, a standard thing but um i remember somebody uh, in my screenwriting class they had quoted uh william goldman in talking about unbreakable in which they said the in which he said the problem with that movie and i like unbreakable so i'm not sure if i totally agree but i it's a good point he said in sixth sense there's this reveal and suddenly things fall into place and questions that you didn't know you were asking, but you were suddenly they're answered. And he said, unbreakable answers questions that no one was asking, except maybe why is this guy so weird? <laughs> like just basically that. And so I feel like, I feel like uh, to a certain extent, like Star Trek into darkness, a film that again, I still enjoy a great deal. It does treat it just, it's just like, Oh, look at this reveal. It's like, no one was really, no one ever said, "Hey, that's not your real name." Like, <laughs> no one has any reason to think that it's not that's not his real name. That's whereas, I, whereas I use, Mandarin, as as the rare huge fan of the movie Signs, uh, I always take. A I like Signs. Of, I love it. And a lot of people don't, but I I, I, I take issue with people to, like lumping that in with the other because I don't think what happens at the end of Signs is a twist or a reveal in the same way that six cents or even breaking uh breaking bad even unbreakable <laughs> is you know yes yeah. it's more of a, a completion it's a, yeah it's a convergence a f- a fulfillment yeah. Uh, yeah but it's not uh, it, it doesn't change like you don't go back and realize like oh she was leaving the glasses of water there on purpose the whole time right. no that's not that's not what it is it's it's it gets there organically and it might be a little silly if you're um i guess 
uh, you know, dead inside or whatever. Uh, but uh, uh, I don't think it's a twist. Do you I, like signs? Oh, I think I was just thinking as you were talking about it that you might even argue that the only reason that's viewed as a twist is just because he had twists in his other films. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like he, he, when a director becomes known for a twist, can he still have a twist? Because yeah. you're just waiting. It's like, that's almost And that's awful. what happened with The Village is I, yeah. I'm not a guy who guests, guests, uh, guesses twists um, very often, but I saw The Village coming a mile away. Yeah, I, I feel like exactly it's a bad thing for a filmmaker to be known for a twist yeah. because then it means when you watch this film the first time, you keep your fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. You don't believe anything you say. All right. Well, this has been awesome. Um and you can uh, find well, you can find us, uh, of course, at battleshippretension.com. That's where you can find our reviews as well as uh, you know the links to this podcast and all the other podcasts in the Battleship Pretension fleet. Um, you can follow. You can email us at david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can follow me on Twitter at the pretension. You can follow Tyler at More Lessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which was aforementioned. Uh, my other podcast is the weekly television show hey watch this with paul and david that's my podcast with the king of tv paul goble this week we'll be talking about the new sci-fi uh two-hour pilot called rewind and uh the second episode of the new season of the great food truck race those are the summer doldrums we'll get into some good stuff by the end of september i'm sure and you also um, have been uh, you were recently a guest on the auteur cast oh I, yeah I, well yeah is, it, is that episode out yeah yes okay i was i was guest on the auteur cast talking about barton fink i was also a guest on the out now pod out now podcast talking about the world's end and other things that edgar wright um so yeah you can find find those uh all over the place um and amy where can people find you and your work and your books and your podcasts and my ravings about cat and beers and hot dogs and all of that you can just find that on twitter at uh-huh. the amy nicholson okay uh well thank you for being here we'll have you back to talk about tom cruise uh in the spring i have Damn a lot right. of opinions on this so yeah. yes we'll probably have you back before then i hope because <laughs> uh, like i said you're uh a, one of our favorites and one of our listeners favorites so fans thank you for being here thank you all for being fans we'll get you next time bye bye This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.